Hi there, and welcome to the Press Gallery, Edmonton Journal's politics podcast, the Take Me to Your Leader edition. I'm your host, Sarah O'Donnell, and on this lovely spring day of March 27th, 2014, I'm joined by our fantastic trio of provincial affairs reporter Miriam Ibrahim. Hello. Columnist Paula Simons. Good morning, Sarah. And legislature columnist Graham Thompson. Hello. In this... The first week of Premier Dave Hancock's reign, we want to talk about a couple of key developments since last week's shocking whirlwind of a leadership meltdown, which came after a revolt within the progressive conservative circles. We now have a much better idea of how the leadership race to replace Alison Redford will take shape. Miriam, you were there in Red Deer Monday to hear from the PC party about the ground rules for this contest. What was the mood like at that meeting and how will this all play out in the months ahead? I wish I could tell you what the mood was like in the meeting, but I can't because the doors were closed and we weren't allowed inside when they were debating for the three hours that they were debating um, behind closed doors at the Sheraton Hotel in Red Deer. But when we when we did finally get word once the meeting was over, we, we found out quite a lot. Um, we found out that the race votes will happen on September 6th, will be the first ballot. And if a second ballot is necessary, if no one gets a 50% plus one majority on the first ballot, the next ballot will happen on September 20th. And at that time, the top two candidates will move forward. Um, we've also found out there, there's no nomination date yet, so the race isn't officially on yet. Um, and we also found out that they will be allowing the one member, one vote. So, uh, any Canadian citizen living in Alberta who purchases or holds a PC party membership will be able to cast a ballot. As long as they're 14. That's right. 14 or older, which I heard had been changed, um, previously to sort of match the PC youth races that they do. And also, of course, the big news that came out of it too was the $50,000 entry fee, none of which is refundable. That's a big change from previous years. In 2011, it's essentially double what the entry fee was in 2011. It was $40,000 in the 2011 race, but candidates could get $15,000 of that back. Uh, And in the race before that, uh, 2008, I guess, it was was 2006. Yeah, 11,000. 15, I believe. Graham, can you settle this? I cannot settle this. Uh-huh. I'm I'm quite I'm quite certain it was fifteen thousand. So in, in essentially it's increased fifteen thousand, twenty five, and now it's fifty. Fifty thousand just to play. That is the equivalent. That's more than a trip to South Africa for two. So <laughs> even the nicest trip. Why would they charge so much to enter? Doesn't this really limit the possibilities for people? I think it does. Um it, it's a fundraising tool as well. This is a party that desperately needs money. $50,000 will help them uh, raise that money. Um, the, I guess the, the pros and cons here is that, yeah, it does limit it. Um, people who are the fringe candidates who find it very difficult to get in, they couldn't afford to get in if they're a fringe candidate. But it also means that the young people, the younger candidates who may not have the, the ability to raise that kind of money right now will be prevented from running, which means there'll be fewer, um, maybe fresh faces and fresh ideas. This is uh, limiting the race to more established politicians, more established people, uh, which means that um, we may have fewer people in the race, um, and it may mean it's sort of the status quo for the conservatives because of this. So on the one hand, this the rules for this contest mean that they'll keep eyeballs on the party for, well, I guess at least till September now. On the other hand, that's months of division and and fighting within. So what do you think about their decision, Paula, to stretch this race all the way to September? I think it's wacky. Uh, I mean, the longer that they are having the race, 
the less time they have to put their party back together. So that's five to six months of divisive infighting. Not only that, but as Graham says, they have trouble with fundraising. So as long as you have candidates out in the field who are trying to raise money for their leadership campaigns, those are dollars that aren't flowing into the main PC coffers. So the longer the race goes on, the more impeded the party actually is in its ability to do fundraising for the next election. But I think also it's very bad news for the province of Alberta because, you know, the rest of us would like to be governed, please, by people who aren't politicking and jockeying for position. And the longer, I mean, this party has been sort of in a perpetual leadership race dating back almost to 2005 in the wanting days of Ralph Klein's leadership. It would be very nice to see the politicians that we elect in this province actually doing the job we hired them to do. We can talk a little bit about the governing piece in, in a couple minutes, but I want to know who's out in the field already, and, and do we have a better idea of who wants this job? Well, in the field right now, we've got people like Ken Hughes putting their name out, um, saying, asking people to actually talk to him and say, do you think I can become premier? We've got, um, I guess, web pages like as it uh, draft Jono, uh, Jonathan Dennis has got a web page. It may not be Jonathan, maybe somebody who dislikes Jonathan Dennis trying to draft him. So you got people actually putting their names right now, trying to get a sense of of where they stand. The interesting thing about this race um, is that in previous leadership races, we had a sense who was a front runner. You go back to 1992, it was Ralph Klein, Nancy Bitkowski were going to be in that race, and we knew that. And then you go to the one, the next one, it was um, Jim Dinning spent two years campaigning to become premier, and that didn't work out for him. Last time around, Gary Mart was a name that we, we assumed we knew would be in the race. This time around, there's nobody right now that we, we can point to and say, this is a person that be a front runner, this person's gonna be running in the race. Uh, we can mention people like Thomas Lukasik is very interested, but in terms of the, the high profile, high, high quality candidates that we've had in the past, there's no one right now. So which is why we're looking around right now to anybody with, with a pulse. We're wondering, will they be in the race? Miriam, what names are you hearing at the legislature? Uh, the same names are really being tossed around. Um, Diana McQueen, Doug Horner, as uh, Graham said, um, Jonathan Dennis. Ken Hughes obviously has launched his ex- exploratory um, mission. <laughs> I don't really know what to call that. It is hard to know what to call it exactly. Do you <laughs> like me? Do you really, really like me? Uh, there's also uh, Scott Tannis, senator, uh, who, who um, a web page sort of went up saying draft Scott Tannis, and he seems to indicate that he that sort of went up with his blessing, that he knew that was going to be happening. Right. So these are the people who have said that they maybe would be interested or they haven't said absolutely not when asked the question. So I know that none of us are PC party members. We're journalists. We do not hold any party memberships. But we are talking about something that affects the entire province because the next person will be Alberta's 16th premier. I want to know, just who do you think would make the race interesting? And if they can scrape up the cash. And Paula, do you want to start by telling me why you're going to refuse to answer this question on principle? I'm going to refuse to answer this question on principle because I'm not a member of the PC party and I don't have a dog in this fight. Um, As far as I'm concerned, it's up to them to decide who's going to enter the race or not. This surprises me because you have never been short on opinions of anything. <laughs> and, and you've no, but, that, but, but you know, I, I, here's my opinion. I think in this province, we're far, far too used to assuming that the party and the premiership are the same thing. This is a race for the party leader. We have a premier in this province right now, and that's Dave Hancock. Uh, this is an internal party matter. And I was really, I was almost offended when Redford stepped down and people were saying, oh, Nahid Nenshi should run. I mean, 
really? Nenshi's not a Tory. I mean, there just seems to be the feeling in this province that unless you're the leader of the Tory party, you can't be the next premier. As far as I'm concerned, they're picking a party leader, and that's their business, not mine. Having, having said that, though, whoever becomes the leader of the party becomes automatically the premier of the province. So this, this, I, I know what you're saying, Paula, and I, pre, I do appreciate it, believe me, because we got ourselves caught up in the leadership race as if it's a general election, and it's not. It's for the party members. Having said that, the difference here is uh, from them picking a, a leader of the Wild Rose or the NDP or Liberals is that whoever becomes the leader of the PC party becomes the premier of the province automatically. So with that, is there someone you think would make the race interesting, who you think would be interesting if they ran? Not saying you support them, but you think it would oh. make the race interesting. Um, that's, that's an interesting question. Um, and, and, <laughs> well, I, 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 and I'm thinking of what Paula said. I'm thinking of the matter of principle I should be siding with Paula here because we do get ourselves so caught up in this that um, Paula's right. We end up equating the PC party with the government. But having said that, um, you, you do mention Nenshi's name, and people will point to him and say he's not a Tory. But in this province, it's all about power. If somebody can actually win the premiership, leadership become premier and actually then govern the province that becomes a, a prize that people end up uh, coveting and uh, and look Ralph Klein was a liberal and Ralph Klein was the mayor of Calgary and Ralph Klein ran for the leadership of the PCs and won and became a very successful premier you can argue about his policies but this is the template is there. Of course, yeah. he, he, but he didn't run as the mayor, the liberal mayor of Calgary. He, by the time he ran for the leadership, he was a progressive conservative he was cabinet a minister. minister. Yeah, yeah. But, he, but he was actually a liberal mayor who actually became a Tory, and he was minister of environment, and he became premier. So you yes. kind of are refusing to answer my question, which I find obnoxious. No, no, I, <laughs> no I, I'm, I'm saying that um, a name you've mentioned, Nancy's name, that people, people do bring up all the time. Okay, well, thank you. I'm going to answer my own question. I think it would be interesting if Manmeet Buller entered the race. I think he would make an interesting candidate. I also do think it would be interesting to see if the Stephen Mandel for PC party leader actually came to, if that campaign actually turned into something. I don't know if he would win it. I don't know if he could win the hearts and minds of progressive conservatives, but I think it would be interesting. Miriam, do you want to play? I'm going to talk about the Facebook page that popped up uh, talking about drafting a very adorable kitten. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I choose. That's I think favorite. that would make it extremely interesting. Anyone who knows me knows I love cats. Okay. That's where I'm See, going. See, and I'm, I'm on team puppy. Oh, good <laughs> grief. I know it's early. I do love a good gamble. Now, here's another question I don't know if any of you will answer. Who do you think at this point, even though we haven't had any people actually enter the race, who do you think is actually going to win? Oh, come on. Sarah with the me? tough questions. No, you don't, you're not willing to make a prediction now that I can play back in four months or six months to show you how right you were? Perhaps wow. we should wait till the nomination date at least. All right. <laughs> Fine. Are there any set rules for when cabinet has to step aside? Have we? Do we know yet? Like, how long will people who might be interested in the job in cabinet get to hold on to their cabinet seats for? Well, normally, what happens if they announce and they're out of cabinet, they they, they step down immediately. Is that a hard and fast rule? I, I think I, that's the convention. I don't yeah, know absolutely. that that's a, the, the a protocol. hard and fast rule, but it would that would need to happen. I mean, you can't be um, seen to be doing your job as a cabinet minister right. while simultaneously campaigning across the province. And this is the problem with the Ken Hughes thing. I mean, the Ken Hughes 
not quite a leadership campaign. Here's my exploratory website. Um, you know, he, tell me if you think I should run. Tell me if you like me enough. So, you know, does that cross a line? He's not an officially declared candidate, but he is most certainly leveraging his position um, to garner attention. And there have been some questions raised by the Wild Rose about, you know, if he's supposed to be the minister who's in charge of flood restoration, how you know, does that conflict in terms of, you know, how well he's doing his job and how he handles his job if he's politicking for votes in Calgary? Yeah, that's a fair question because also he, he gets to travel the, the province on government airplanes and government dime, and uh, he, in a sense, then would be campaigning. He, he'd be minister plus a potential candidate trying to gauge people's uh, support, also trying to raise support. There's definitely a conflict here. I think that either you're in the race and you step down, you're not in the race, and you don't actually uh, do this kind of thing. But he's he's trying to pull off a fast one to me on the, uh, the taxpayers. And of course, this is going to be really tricky for Dave Hancock, our new official premier, because as cabinet ministers like Hughes and Dennis make up their minds, he's going to have to shuffle the cabinet. He's going to have to pull people from the back benches, some of whom are on the back benches, warming those benches for a very good reason. Um, it's not going to be easy for Hancock to continue to run the government uh, while his top front benchers are popping off uh, to explore their own political ambitions. Oh, surely he can be minister of all things. He's been doing it for long enough. Couldn't he be <laughs> minister Has of Hasn't he been already? Yeah. But this is a government that's going to be an autopilot. And I, and I go back to what Paula mentioned earlier we want a government to govern and now we're trapped again in this uh, loop of leadership they're not actually governing they're, they're a party in crisis it's a government in crisis and they're going to be on autopilot now for the next six months do you think they're on autopilot because I noticed that in on Friday Monday there was a blast of activity from the party and I've seen a lot of pictures of MLAs on Twitter doing things out in the community <laughs> well they're on constituency week right so of course they're out and about doing things meeting people going to dinners and award ceremonies and that sort of thing I think it'll be interesting when the session resumes again um, the dynamics of all of this like the opposition have already been calling for some of these ministers who have been mulling a potential leadership bid to to step down and to either focus on their portfolio or their campaign um and you were and graham was talking about how um they get to fly around i mean if if you see this week on on the public itinerary there there was uh, a whole schwack of um speeching speaking engagements that doug horner did he taking the budget on tour. Uh, Diana McQueen was traveling around um, at, at various events. Thomas Lukasik, same thing. So uh, they've sort of called that into question, saying, well, look, now they've, they've been traveling around the province. Doug Horner, for one, was in Mournville and Fort Saskatchewan and Cold Lake and Grand Prairie. And um, so, you know, they're calling that into question a little bit. So I think it will be interesting when the session resumes how that first question period will play yeah. out. I tried yesterday to reach both Health Minister Fred Horn and Infrastructure Minister Rick McIver for a story I was working on, and they were strangely unavailable, whereas during a constituency week, often they're quite eager to chat. So I don't know if they were out tire kicking. Maybe they were just very, very busy catching up on all the things that they weren't able to do in the last couple of weeks. I have the public itinerary here if you want to see if they were just blowing you off or not. <laughs> <laughs> so, Miriam, it has been the first week of Dave Hancock's Rain. He was officially sworn in Sunday night. How would you describe this first week? <laughs> Anticlimactic? Really? It's been, yeah, as I say, it's constituency week, so things are extremely quiet, right? Um, I will look forward to, again, when they, when they return to session, when they return to the House, and, and that first question period when he's sitting in the premier spot. Um, yeah, I mean, he vowed that, that government will continue on carrying on with business, so I guess that remains to be seen, um, but... 
we'll see in a week. I have visions of there being a secret video of him walking into the premier's office and having like a secret dance, you know, just like, <laughs> yes, I'm premier, I'm premier. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. you know, he wanted to be premier quite desperately in, in his own right. I mean, ran against Stelmack for the leadership. Uh, I'm sure for him, this is the culmination of a lot of dreams. And I'm sure it's also very frustrating because he's going to know that he's going to be a caretaker premier, um, you know, for four, six, seven months, depending. I mean, because if somebody is elected leader of the party who is not a sitting MLA, they're going to have to have a by-election and that person is going to have to win a seat. So, I mean, it's possible if they do look for outside talent that Hancock will be the premier longer than six months. But still, he's not going to be able to do the kinds of things he would have wanted to do had he won the premiership outright. What's yeah, I'm sorry. He, he's called himself the interim premier as well. Even though he is the premier, he's the interim leader of the PC party. He still refer, will refer to himself as the interim premier, which is basically him saying he really can't do a lot. He won't be doing any, any change in direction. So I imagine it'll be pretty pretty boring and um, straightforward for the next six months. When, when caucus chose him, he um, that day he gave a press conference and he was asked, you know, how are you going to take government going forward um, in the interim? Um, and he said that he was going to carry on with, with the Building Alberta plan and everything that had been laid out in former Premier Redford's vision because he said that it wouldn't be appropriate for himself to to, to bring in his own agenda, not having really won a mandate in um, and only having been chosen by caucus. So, Although it's very interesting that he certainly did bring in his own staff. Um, this is sort of you know one of those under-the-dome things that maybe matters more to us than it does to people out in the real world. But it was very expeditious, the exit of all of the Redford advisors who were often very uh, controversial and problematic in some of the advice they gave her and some of the very high public profile they took, especially on social media. All of those people who, uh, who were really not very helpful to Premier Redford are left almost instantaneously from the premier's office and Red, and uh, Hancock has brought in his own uh, his own people to staff that office and so even though there may not be a big change from a legislative policy perspective in the in the house i think there's going to be big big changes in the way the premier's office is run all right let's go to good stuff from the gallery now i want to start with a new and hopefully fun call out to listeners I was going through my CDs and listening to music over the weekend, and I thought, you know what we need? A press gallery playlist. (laughs) Political songs. Now, at first I thought, oh, we should ask for just the best political songs, but then I was like, is there such a thing as a good conservative political song? I don't know. I couldn't think of one. But so here's what I want to suggest, and next week maybe you can bring your songs. If you were running for a leader of any party, any party at all, what would be the theme song for your campaign? (laughs) <laughs> so I haven't I haven't picked mine yet, so I don't know. Help. <laughs> so I want to know from listeners what 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 would their campaign theme song be? Maybe it might be some kind of folksy left wing ballot. Maybe there is a hard rock and conservative song that I don't know about, or maybe just something in the middle. So I'm gonna post it on Facebook. Please respond on Facebook and let us know what would your campaign theme song be for any party doesn't have to be the pcs and then let's go to other good stuff 
Paula, do you want to start? I do want to start because I have a thing that's really, really interesting and not to do with Alberta's leadership race. And that's a piece that went online this week from Toronto Life writer Kelly Pullen. It's called With Friends Like Harper, How Nigel Wright Went from Golden Boy to Fall Guy. And it's a really, really interesting profile, not so much of Nigel Wright, but a profile of a relationship between two men, Stephen Harper and his chief of staff, Nigel Wright. And it's almost like an anatomy of a divorce or a marriage breakdown because it's it really takes you sort of inside the intimacy of that longstanding relationship and talks to people close to Wright about the betrayal he felt um, when he was asked to fall on his sword uh, over the Mike Duffy affair. So it's a it's a great read. It's in Toronto Life by Kelly Pullen, and it's, again, with friends like Harper. Okay, I'm going to do my good stuff next. And my good stuff this week is part brag, part recommendation. Please excuse the braggy bit, but I was really honored by this, and I wanted to share it with listeners. Our little podcast was nominated last week for a Yegi. And the Yegis, for those who don't know, are new media awards that recognize online work in the Edmonton area, which is known on Twitter by its hashtag, Y-E-G, Yeg. The press gallery was nominated among the best in political or current affairs category. And what's great about this is we've got really good competition in this category, and it shows all the different things that are taking place in the political arena online. So for my good stuff, I recommend you check out the competition which are Scott McKean's blog, Scott McKean's a city councillor now, Radical Citizen Media, Alberta Diary, which is David Klimenhaga's blog, Colby Kosh's blog, and Gig City's site. So definitely check those out. Check out the competition. It's all really interesting. Miriam, what's your good stuff? Mine would be um, to encourage everyone to read Brent Whitmire's three-part series on the Truth and Reconciliation Commission um, in the Edmonton Journal this week. And I would also encourage people to check out the, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission's website and, um, you know, even perhaps go to the events. It's, it's free. It's open to the public. And um, I think it would be uh, a good way to spend some time um, between now, today it begins, and Sunday. Because it's not just listening to people's testimony. There's music, there are art installations, there's a a whole public component that's designed to encourage people from the community not just to hear the survival stories of the people who went to residential school, but to look at some of the dance and music and uh, visual art that expresses uh, our relationship to that very troubled time in our history. And, of course, it's the final um, hearing, so... um it's, it's everyone's last chance. Thank you. That's a good recommendation. Graham, what have you got? Um, this is my <coughs> Harper's Magazine, the latest edition. It's the uh, Harper's Magazine, uh, April 2014. It's an article on, it's called Raising Arizona Will Drought Destroy the Southwest? It's a really well-written, as most articles are in, in Harper's, uh, article about um, climate change. And they're going down the Colorado River and just the impact of climate change in the U.S. Southwest. To me, it's a great irony or coincidence that um, in a, coming up, Pretty soon, is, there's going to be a convention in Las Vegas of climate change deniers. Um, they call themselves these scientists and skeptics, you know, saying they're going to you know, show that it's all a hoax, that climate change is not real. And to me, it's ironic they're actually holding it um, in this area of the U.S., which is being hit really hard by climate change. And they should actually all sit down and read this article. Um, anyway, so it's um, Harper's Magazine, April edition, Raising Arizona. Thanks, Graham. We'll post all those links on our website and on our Facebook page. That'll wrap up the press gallery for this week. 
You may have noticed last week that you could check out a video segment from the show along with the podcast. Thanks to our producer Ryan Jackson and photographer Greg Southam, you should be able to do that again this week. To find video and previous shows, go to edmontonjournal.com and dive into the opinion section. The press gallery is also posted on SoundCloud and iTunes. And you can connect with us on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash thepressgallery. That's a perfect place to share the songs that you think deserve a place on a well-rounded campaign playlist. Thanks everyone for listening. We'll talk to you next week.